you. Hey, Pokemon fans. So, it's it's been an interesting week. <laughs> I try not to be like especially politically partisan on this show. I mean, it's not relevant. Um, and also, I think all people in politics are cool. Like making sure the big machine that is our country still continues to run. Like that's a tough job, and everybody's different perspectives and. The people who have to try to represent all of those perspectives, like, that's interesting and ridiculously tough. It's a job worthy of my respect, even if sometimes it doesn't go the way we want, and sometimes our political leaders aren't as cognizant of the public service part of their job as we'd like. But this is a podcast where, you know, I state my opinions on things, so it's hard not to let any partiality through or let how I'm feeling about the world at large not creep into the show where I just sit and talk to you for like 20 minutes. And I do have thoughts about current events that are Pokemon related, believe it or not. We just had an election uh, here in this great country of America. Um, and however you voted, thank you for voting. It's important to do that especially at a time where it's really easy to lose faith in our government and our system and life in general. Um, I don't really care who you voted for. Like, I've done enough research onto all the sides. I can see where an appeal might be, even if I don't agree with it. But I think as a people, we have to realize that nobody won this election. Even before we all cast our ballots, we lost. This year and a half, we treated each other very poorly. We were unkind. Like, we as a general whole behaved like children. And the sad thing is, had we actually been children, an adult would have come over and made us apologize and talk the issue out. Like, grown adults displayed behavior we wouldn't let our kids get away with. And that's a pretty big wake-up call for me. And I think we need to acknowledge that, and also that it's not just the other side. Like, it's not just the other guys, whoever that is for you. It's all sides that are intolerant and bullies and ignorant or criminal and whatever. Like, when a parent breaks up a fight between siblings, like, they don't care who started it, they don't care who's right, because at that point the kids have just devolved into animals and they're disappointed in all of you. Like, we can all do better. And after the violence and the rhetoric that was spoken during the election, we really need to. And it makes me think of Pokemon Black and White and its sequel and the themes of that game, because I've never seen the political situation of America and the world expressed so beautifully and on a level a child can understand. Like, play through those games again. Talk to all the people and read what they're saying. Like, I know N talks a mile a minute and uses math metaphors, but do your best. <laughs> there, there is so much beautiful discussion about listening to people, about getting along with those you disagree with, about talking through um, opposing moral viewpoints and speaking kindly to each other to try to work together and affect a solution. Remember, Unova is a region divided, the hero of truths and the hero of ideals, 
And, and N has that moment where he realizes, like, could they both be right? Like, who wins? How Unova changes because of the Reshiram Zekrom fight is kind of irrelevant next to the realization that the hero and ideals are both right, and Unova needs both those things to find a sort of harmony if any solution is going to work. And remember the anime version of that, the N arc. Remember when Satoshi met N for the first time and they're all buddy buddy and chatting about dreams and saving Pokemon and Sato's like, yeah, I'm a Pokemon trainer. We've had lots of battles and N is like, this tea party is over. Because he hates Pokemon trainers. He thinks Pokemon are suffering because of humans and being forced to fight battles is the most disgusting thing he can think of. And he tells Satoshi this. How he despises Satoshi's entire dream and his way of life is wrong and abhorrent to him and and that end thinks humans and pokemon shouldn't live together because of this and watching that we think there's no way that those two could be friends with this standing between them i mean that's a pretty huge disagreement to get over and it and it hurts satoshi to hear it and typically when we meet characters who are against humans and pokemon being together I mean, first of all, usually it's a Pokemon, not a human, but when that happens, usually we win them over by the end of the episode. We prove to them that Pokemon training is great, that friendship is, is super awesome, but N, you know, he sees the friendship between Ash and Pikachu. He sees that Pikachu loves Ash, and, you know, maybe those two are an exception, but it doesn't change how he feels. He still thinks it's wrong and that humans and Pokemon should be separated. And that's crushing when we realize that we're not going to change N's mind. But what happens? Before the episode's over and N leaves the ship, Satoshi calls after him. He's like, I want to talk lots more with you. I want to see you again. And N agrees. And he eventually travels with Satoshi, and they become friends, they play together, they eat together, they save stuff and fight bad guys together. And through it all, he expresses open disdain and dislike for humans training Pokemon. But he talks, and Satoshi listens, and N starts listening too. And he tells Satoshi that for all their disagreements, for all N feels so strongly about his hatred for Pokemon training, he tells Satoshi, I don't dislike you. I don't hate you. And it's not just Satoshi and becomes friends with Iris. He, he and Dent share that green-haired bromance of destiny. Again, still holds his opinions on humans and Pokemon, but his world gets broader, and Satoshi's does too, because both of them are right. Both of them. N is the hero of truth. Pokemon are often abused by humans. The system of Pokemon training is incredibly biased in the human's favor, and it can go horribly, horribly wrong very quickly. We see this all the time. It's a lot of trust the Pokemon puts in its trainer, and, and you know, that it gets warped and abused even unintentionally is fact. But Satoshi is right too, because Sato's the hero of ideals. And Pokemon training, ideally, is a glorious thing, a thing that edifies everybody, makes the world a better place, brings out the full potential of all involved, and inspires. 
When Pokemon training and trainers live up to that ideal, there is no more right thing in the world. Humans and Pokemon started the training together thing because of that ideal. This ritual of Pokemon battles was set up to reach that ideal relationship. So both of them are right. And so if one of them won over the other, it wouldn't be a victory because it wouldn't fix the problem. Like if Satoshi won that debate and even managed to change N's mind, N's previous opinion would still be right. The world wouldn't be better, it would still be broken. There would just be nobody speaking up for the Pokemon anymore. And if N got his wish, separating Pokemon and humans, Satoshi would still be right. The world would be a miserable empty place full of broken friendships. To win, they both need to come together. Satoshi's ideals need N's truth, and N's truth needs Satoshi's ideals in order for anything to get better. And I think when we meet N's two friends in that misty haven place, I forget their Japanese names, but Concordia and, and Anthea, I think it was in English, like we see that N has begun to change and accept new possibilities. After all, Ash has been willing to talk with him and hear him out, and he's been willing to listen to Ash. But those two girls, they're so closed off and cold and miserable in paradise. Because they're not willing to listen. They're not willing to consider that their point of view, their truth, is only half of a whole. Like, this anime aired long before this year's election even started. The black and white games were Gen 5 but they're even more on the nose than ever. They apply so much more than they ever did. So as we head into these new, um, kind of terrifying times, I just have to say this, like, go back and look over the morality plays we presented to our children. Pay attention to this, one of the world's most popular children's franchises, and what it's telling the kids of this world that they should value. Because if we expect that of our world's children, we should also expect it from us. And just remember that Ash would choose kindness. Ash would choose to help strangers and do service for the people he meets. And Ash always thinks people's dreams are cool, even if they're new and weird. And he always thinks their struggles and their fears are important even when he thinks they're wrong, and he believes that there's a way to move past them and that he's more than willing to help with that. And Ash always wants to talk to the people who hate him, whether it's N, whether it's Paul, even Gary. He gets hurt and he's angry, but he always comes back wanting to be friends anyway. No matter how many times Team Rocket has disguised themselves and then terrorized him and his Pokémon, he prioritizes kindness and trust over suspicion and fear. It's how he deals with Team Rocket and every antagonist and all of his rivals. When a crisis hit, Ash's biggest priority is to make sure that everybody feels safe and that nobody gets hurt, and then we can sort out who's right and who's wrong and how to fix the problem. Ash always chooses, above everything, to be kind and to be selfless and to love. 
And he preaches that to everybody he meets. Everyone who meets Ash is changed. Every town is better because Ash passed through it. And this is the world we're trying to pass on to our kids, the one that we're making them live in for 22 minutes a day. Individual people have more power than politics. And I think if we try to live in this Pokemon world ourselves that we value so much, that we will do more to change the world than this election did, and we can repair all the damage we caused in getting up to it. Um, but that is enough of that. On a happier note, we're this close to the Silver Conference, and the time has come to play Fantasy Pokemon League! Um, sort of a fantasy football style of competition. We draft teams and the winner gets a prize. And if we ever do this again, I might have to start the setup earlier because we didn't get a ton of responses, but we did get two teams. And you know, that'll be enough. Good luck to Team Evan and Team Logan. As I'm recording, uh, Logan is still picking his team. But once we start covering the actual Silver Conference episodes, I'll announce their rosters so we can all follow along and cheer them on. Um, I'm thinking this episode should go up Sunday night, Sunday the 13th, because, gosh, some weeks, me and deadlines. Like, the way I've been going this year, you'd never believe that my update schedule is supposed to be Saturdays. Uh, but yeah, it should go up Sunday, and if you're really bummed about missing the deadline... Well, clearly we are kindred spirits. If you can hit me up on the Facebook or the Twitter in the next, like, day or two, I can maybe squeak you in a team. But once we start going, like, once I start recording next episode, it's, it's too late. But anyway, despite political commentary and sporty-like diversions, uh, this is actually a Pokemon anime podcast. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Um, welcome to Peak Happy Podcast. My name is Anne. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, what we do here is go through each episode of the Pokemon series and kind of um, narrate and commentate and discuss and break down everything that happened. Uh, we started with episode one and we're going to go until I guess Rika Matsumoto runs out of voice. <laughs> Right now, we're in the Johto League journeys, and we're just about finished up with the Silver Conference, and that's the end of the Johto region and original series. So it's kind of a big deal. And Peak Happy Podcast is brought to you by Poke Press, Covering the Pokemon world one corner at a time, whether it's music um, and unboxing and reviews of um, the latest character album from XYZ, um, or... Interviews with directors and actors and musicians who've worked on bringing Pokemon anime to us. Whether it's players and competitors, cosplayers, concert musicians, whatever part of the Pokemon world touches you, uh, PokePress has a little piece of insight to delight you. PokePress has a channel on YouTube, or you can find them at pokepress.blogspot.com. Check them out, see what's happening in the regions of Pokemon fandom that you may not yet have traveled through. And speaking of traveling, uh, we're going to get into 265, Pop Goes the Sneasel, and we're going to kick off this Pokemon League arc. So our kids are walking down the road, they've successfully delivered Larvitar, remember, and, and now they've got nothing else to do but head for the goal. They're on the doorstep of the Silver Conference. Pokemon League or Bust. Well, there's sort of a large gate, um, like doors, and a crowd of people gathered around it. And these people are excited, but they're growing impatient. 
You see, this is a Ho'o shrine, um, and the torch for the Silver Conference starts its journey here. Just like Kanto, we have a torch run! Yay, Poke-Olympics! Well, since they're here, of course the kids are going to stay and watch the torch begin its run. Like, I love how they never plan any of this stuff. Like, even though Brock's got some sort of Lonely Planet-type guide. Like, they just wander into everything. They're either the worst travelers or the luckiest. <laughs> But, like, can you imagine what would happen if Ash actually planned and scheduled his journey? I mean, they suck at deadlines, so it probably wouldn't work, but... Anyway, the torch uh, is taking a long time. The runner is late for some reason, and it, it seems there's some unforeseen circumstances called causing a delay. The, the shrine worker uh, guy doesn't give any details beyond that, but when Togepi decides to slip behind an open door and run off to play... And, and Pikachu follows, um, the kids have to follow the Pokemon and get them out of the restricted area, and so get access to a bit of a behind-the-scenes view. I'd say Misty should keep a better eye on her Pokemon, but it gets them into so many backstage opportunities. <laughs> um, at the shrine, there's this pair of Pokemon trainers, um, one with a passed-out Poliwhirl, and they complain there's too much danger. They can't stay here and have their Pokemon get seriously injured right before the conference even begins. So they leave, and the shrine dude looks bummed. He asks Ash, Misty, and Brock for a favor. He needs Pokemon trainers, but all the ones he's asked so far have run away in fear, like those last two. And it's a little weird, but the kids are happy to help. But before they can get the details, another trainer, um, also with a penchant for just wandering into restricted areas, apparently, <laughs> he walks in and hears this, and he's like, So, we're having a bit of trouble here, eh? <laughs> I know this guy, and I know that little colloquialism. This man is a Canadian. You will never convince me otherwise. Anyway, his name is Harrison. He's from Little Root Town in the Hoenn region. Um, but you can be from another place and still be Canadian. Example, me. Besides, he's super helpful. And most of all, there is no town name that screams Southern Alberta more than Little Root. Like, sheesh. I would not be surprised if we looked at the map and saw there is a township by that name. Like, that is just how we name our cities. <laughs> but anyway, this is where Ash learns about the Hoenn region, his first real exposure to that, and... I think as an audience, ours too, like we, we'd heard that Gen 3 was coming, and we'd seen a couple special Pokemon debuts, but I think this is the first time the anime really talks about it. And I've said this many times in past episodes, but again, advanced generation and the concept of separate and distinct regions, because like even Johto and Kanto are kind of connected, but like this was like our first step into a larger world. It really was kind of mind-blowing to think about. So, um, in this scene we also uh, learn what the deal is with the torch-running ceremony. Um, everything's ready, everything's fine, but they can't actually get anywhere near the sacred flame of Ho-Oh to light the torch. Um, the shrine and the flame are symbolic of the legend of Ho-Oh, and Ash is like, legend? No, that stuff's real, man. Ask Morty, I may have been chosen by one for something. Um, but anyway, the legend here um, is that in this area long ago, there was a huge battle, fierce, many Pokemon were injured. 
and I sense we're using the term injured as a loose understatement, um, but the land was devastated. The lake dried up, all life disappeared, and so Ho'oh came down and, and basically burned everything to the ground. <laughs> all human weapons were disintegrated by its flame. The land was charred to a crisp. Um, but from the ashes, new life began to grow. In time, it flourished into this beautiful forest you see today. People put aside their differences, worked together for peace, and kept up a small bit of that original fire as a symbol, the sacred flame, and it still burns today. And you know, sometime we have to have a special episode on Pokemon Legends, because Johto seems really super duper violent in its history. <laughs> like, literally every major legend we've had the, the past couple years is like the land was devastated by war and usually a legendary Pokemon burned everything and high death toll and fire and, and now we keep it sacred as a symbol like <laughs> I mean it's possible that a lot of these legends especially the ones involving Ho-Oh are all different local variations on the same overarching event like, it's possible that Ho-Oh burned the whole region of Johto, and we're just, every town Ash walks through has a different kind of viewpoint on it. Or it's also equally possible that Ho-Oh several times just went on, like, a spree, like, every month burned a new town. <laughs> it's hard to tell, but it would be fun to, like, dig through that and and go into the history and the legends of each region and how that informs the lifestyle and the culture, get some Pokemon cultural anthropology going. Um, but anyway, the reason uh, they can't just go up to the shrine and get the flame for the torch is because that there's this wild Sneasel living up there, and it's, and it's become a bit of a terror attacking anything that gets close. Hence the need for Pokemon trainers to, like, try and battle or get through. So far, everyone's been unsuccessful, like, not just their Pokemon are defeated, but, like, actual injuries, Pokemon and humans in the hospital. This sounds bad, but Harrison's like, alright, always wanted to catch a Sneasel, this works for me. And Ashbrock and Misty are also happy to do whatever they can to help the cause, so they all hike to the top of the stairs to see what they see, and Team Rocket follows on the sneaky, since... This sounds like something they could hold for ransom, like precious historical artifact. They can't start the Silver Conference without it, like, surely somebody would be willing to pay a lot of money to get that back. And clearly they haven't learned anything from their misadventures stealing sacred fire from Blackthorn City. Um, but it's Team Rocket who finds the offending Pokemon first. Uh, Sneasel and company say this is their turf, outsiders better step off. Of course, Team Rocket won't, so they throw Arbok into battle. And this, like every other day of Arbok's life, is another time it just should have stayed home from work. It goes down easily, and then Meowth is thrown into battle, and also defeated easily. Team Rocket is sent blasting off. And then Sneasel, Machoke, and Machop can deal with fighting the twerps. They all arrive at the top of the stairs, and Misty is the first to engage the Machoke with her Corsola. Obviously, she does better than Team Rocket, and Harrison's Houndoom handles the Machop, so Ash can now make a break to get to the shrine. Ah, uh, but did you think it would be that easy? Ash is attacked by Sneasel the second he opens the door to the shrine. Well, that's fine. He has Pokemon, so he sends out Totodile, um, 
kind of an odd choice when there's like a sacred flame right there, but whatever. Totoda starts dancing and thus lets its guard down for Sneasel to strike. And Ash is like, Totoda, focus. I kind of lost it when we saw Sneasel's faint attack, though. Like, Sneasel basically just points, like, look over there. And Totoda's like, huh? I don't see anything. And then slash, like, man. Luckily, Misty and Harrison have finished with their opponents. So the crew is on their way back um, to back Ash up. Just in time for Totodile to get hit and sent flying. Ash does his hero catching and Jack and Jill go tumbling down the hill. They're not hurt, Totodile. In fact, looks like he thought it was fun. Um, but we can see that a straight up battle isn't going to work for this situation. We might have to get a little crafty. But Team Rocket is beginning to think that maybe Meowth isn't going to work for any situation. Really, Jesse pulls James aside for a team powwow to discuss retiring Meowth from the team and replacing him with a Sneasel. James protests, I mean, Meowth is their friend, but Jesse insists. I'm a little surprised, because typically Meowth and Jesse are the ones who agree, like, why don't they just retire James? Um, but anyway, Meowth overhears this, and he pretends to be on board with the plan, like, yeah, I'll help you recruit, I'm totally down with you guys being the best team you can be. Um, but he's actually planning to sabotage the whole thing. So, when the twerps, um, like Ash and Harrison, get Fanfy and Houndoom to take down Machoke and Machop, they're all ready to go for Sneasel, and they might have had a shot if Team Rocket hadn't interrupted the battle, just then flying into the fray in a Sneasel-shaped balloon. And Meowth is dressed as a Sneasel, which doesn't fool Ash for a second, though that might not be something to brag about. Um, it's kind of obvious. Um, but maybe Meowth should be cosplaying Delibird here. Their plan is, disguised as a Sneasel, Meowth is going to win Sneasel's trust and give it a present, which is filled with a smoke bomb, and then Team Rocket can swipe in and steal the Pokémon and be on their way. Of course, Meowth is double-crossing, remember, so he's like, Oh, Sneasel, yeah, there's this bomb here. Why don't you throw it back at those morons? Wouldn't that be a laugh? Like, trying to turn the whole thing around. Um, but, you know, Sneasel doesn't even want to listen, because, you know, this is obviously not another another Sneasel. It, so it just slashes Meowth's costume to ribbons, which sets off the smoke bomb anyway, so best late plans. With smoke everywhere, no one can see, including Team Rocket, as they run in to steal Sneasel. They fly away, only to realize they accidentally swiped Meowth. And Meowth is not so quick to forgive the whole being scratched from the team thing, and a fight breaks out, all claws forward, eventually popping the balloon. Team Rocket blasts themselves off this time, but down on the ground, we still have the issue of the Sacred Flame. Um, Harrison throws out Blaziken. A Hoenn Pokemon for which Ash's Pokedex has no data. Whoa. It fights Sneasel, um, causes it to faint, and then Harrison catches it in a Pokeball. Like, what's up with that? He caught it with the spirally fainted eyes? I thought we couldn't do that, catch them when they're fainted. I thought that was what spiral eyes meant. I thought we had a system! Like, really, I just had a whole rant some episodes ago about Pokemon captures and the like. Now I gotta revise my whole theory. Well, I don't know what Sneasel's deal was, but it will be loved with Harrison. He's a good guy, and it'll have a nice outlet for its aggression, and a new, not-so-violent gang to be part of and call home. And hopefully it can learn to be a nicer Pokémon. 
In the meantime, the Sacred Flame, we can get this torch run on the way. And that Machoke and Machop, rather than fight them, the Shrine Worker decides to hire them to guard the Sacred Flame permanently. See? Working together, they all get what they want. So, off the runner goes. This conference is underway. And, um, Harrison's competing too, and so continues Ash's trend of meeting people right before the tourney, who eventually go on to beat him in the semifinals. I keep telling that kid, once you get that 8th badge, you gotta go into lockdown. Hide in a cave or your hotel room until that last match is over, no making friends. I mean, maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, it's not like just because Ash doesn't make friends with them, Harrison doesn't show up to the conference. But yeah, this is it. Next next episode, that that conference begins. Opening ceremonies, preliminary rounds, running into old friends and new friends, emotions running high. I have such feelings about the Silver Conference, guys. We're going to get to know Harrison better and his unique team and probably more evidence to support the theory that Hoenn was settled by Canadians. If you want to speak to any of that, you should get in touch with us on uh, Facebook or Twitter at Peacappy Podcast. Visit the blog page, peacappypodcast.blogspot.com, or send an email to peacappypodcast at gmail.com. For example, we got an email from Logan about Larvatar um, and that chunk of episodes, which brings up some really interesting thoughts. Um, and I'm going to actually read it on the next episode because I have ranted a lot today and I, I kind of want to save it, spread out the goodness a little bit as it were. But if you want to toss in your two cents about the arc of episodes we just finished or the one that we're going into, feel free to do so. And as always, you can listen to us on iTunes, Zoom, um, wherever you get your podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Peak Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all.